Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. So my name is Abel, and uh, I especially want to say welcome again to the first years. Can we just give them another hand? Any first years visiting us tonight? Um, and also anyone else that is visiting us for the very first time tonight, we really hope that God is going to speak to you tonight, and we love having visitors with us. And if you are considering to join this church, I want to invite you to our starting point. Just before you exit the building on your right hand, there's a room called Starting Point. That's where you start your journey with us uh, if you'd like to join this family. You can open your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 5. And uh, before we get there, just a quick reminder that we are actually in week three of our sermon series called Disciple Shift. We do this once a year, a series called Discipleship, where we say, God, what is the thing that you want to come and shift in our hearts? As your disciples, come and shift us. And one of the things that we see in the Bible, uh, our, our key scripture for this series has been Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Um, and we said, God, we see the church in Acts. This was like the first church. If you ever wondered what the first church looked like, we see a, a picture of that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, or in the book of Acts, because that's after Jesus ascended, and uh, this Christ Christianity movement started going off, and uh, the first church, we get to view what they look like. And we see in the book of Acts what this church looked like, and we're saying, God, would you shift us? We want to look more like this church. And we spoke about how they were devoted to the scriptures, how they were devoted to one another. Last week, we spoke about that. They were devoted to fellowship, and this week, I want to speak about prayer. Acts 2 verse 44 says that they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And if you read throughout the book of Acts, you'd see that this church loved praying. I mean, they just prayed about everything all the time. And if I look at church today, and even sometimes in my own life, I think like, man, if I look at the, the book of Acts and how they prayed, and how a guy like Paul prayed in, in his letters, just speaking about his prayer life. And I look at our lives today, and I, I think like, man, it just it feels like it doesn't, it doesn't totally match up. There's something that we're missing when it comes to prayer. And so our prayer tonight is, God, would you come and shift our hearts? Like you shifted your disciples' hearts when it comes to prayer, would you come and shift our hearts also tonight? Let me ask you this question. Why do you think that the people in the book of Acts, the, those first Christians, why do you think they were so devoted to prayer? Let me just say this up front. I think that it wasn't so much about their devotion, but it was a whole lot more about the one that they were devoted to. You see, I don't think that their focus was praying. I think their focus was this Jesus that they're serving and the way that they communicate him is through prayer. And so it wasn't so much about prayer, it was more about a devotion to the one that they were praying to. Let me ask you another question. Why do you think that Jesus' prayer life was so radically different to anyone else's prayer life that has ever walked the planet Earth? I mean, Jesus' disciples, they were walking with Jesus for many years. They saw him walking on water. They saw him resurrecting the dead. And, we, and then the, what do they ask him? Luke 11 verse 1. They don't ask him, Jesus, show us that water walking trick. Or show us how to turn water into wine. I, I want to know how to do that. No, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because there was something about his prayer 
that was so radically different to anything they've ever experienced. And I think again, for Jesus, the focus wasn't the prayer. It was the one that he was praying to. I think Jesus, I think the reason why Jesus prayed in a different way is that Jesus understood the way in which he relates to the Father. Jesus knew who he was before God, and he knew who God was. That's why his prayer life looked different. So let me say this. If you want to grow in your devotion to prayer, you need to grow in your understanding of where you stand before God. You need to grow in your, your, your relation, the way that you relate to God. Because a powerful prayer life is only going to be the result of a powerful relationship with God himself. And so the one thing I believe that Jesus shifted in his disciples is he was saying that prayer is not a religious rhyme that we say. It's not a religious act that we do in order to impress God. No, no, no. Prayer is an expression of a relationship with God. Jesus shifted his disciples from religion to relationship. And that's the shift that I'm trusting will happen in our hearts also tonight. And so I want to start off by speaking about religion for a moment. Now, I wore a suit tonight. Those of you who know me know that I usually don't dress like this. Okay, anyone knows that? I usually am here with like sneakers and a t-shirt. That's how I usually preach, right? But tonight I wore a suit because I think religion is often so much like wearing a suit. Religion is actually the suit that we put on in order to fit in, in order to impress other people around us, and in order to try and impress God. You see, we think that there is a dress code when it comes to coming to church. We think there's a dress code when it comes to be in front of God. You see, this suit, it represents the things that we do, the outward appearance. It's to look neat on the outside. Now and then we pray, we go to church now and then that people can see, and we do a bunch of Christian type of things so that it can look like we are Christians. And we think that maybe if we do certain things in the right way, that maybe God will be impressed by these outward appearances. And so the, the alternative title for tonight's sermon would actually be the suits that we put on. We love putting on suits, not only for other people, but we love putting on a suit for God also. And um, the scripture that we are going to be uh, studying a bit later is also from, uh, from the book of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And the main point, he was actually trying to tell them, take your suit off, <laughs> leave the suits, just come as you are. That was actually the main part of the message when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And it was written by a guy named Matthew. He was the disciple that recorded the Lord's Prayer. And I want to tell you a bit about Matthew. I don't know if you've ever felt when you walk into church, like you feel you, you just, you don't fit in. Anyone ever felt like that? You're probably not going to raise your hand because you, you, don't, you don't really fit in now at this moment. So it's quite a scary thing to raise your hand in church. But you come to church and you feel like, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I belong here. Have you ever tried doing you know, religion and you look at the people next to you and they're like, man, they do this Christianity thing, like, amazing. They, they, like, raise their hands, and they're, like, very churchy. You know, I'm not even sure if I've got the right, you know, shoes on for church. Have you ever felt like that? 
you know, walk next to someone that's like really, really spiritual and you feel like, man, I don't fit in. It's like the, the suit doesn't suit you at all. You don't, you know, fit into that suit. I'm going to tell you about a guy. His name is Matthew, and you will love him. If you are like that, you feel like you don't fit in, you would love Matthew because he also didn't fit in. Um, we read in Luke, which was, it was like Matthew's buddy. He was also one of the disciples, and he wrote about the day that Jesus met Matthew, okay? So Matthew was modest. He didn't write about himself in his own gospel like John did. Um, But we can read in Luke how he writes about Matthew. Luke 5, verse 27 to 32. After this, this is now Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now, Levi is Matthew's other name. It's like Peter was also known as Simon, or before Paul was Paul, he was known as Saul. You know, so just like Saul was also Paul, and uh, Simon was also Peter, Levi was also Matthew. And he was a tax collector. Jesus found him at a tax booth. Now, I don't know if you know this, but tax collectors were not popular. It's like Donnie said the other day, probably uh, Matthew's surname was Gupta, Right? Because that's what they did. The tax collectors worked for the authorities. They would work for either King Herod or for the Roman government, and they would collect the taxes, right? I mean, we don't like tax people always, right? Because they're taking our money, but I know it's not their fault. But in Matthew's case, what they would do is they would take some off the top and put it in their pocket. It was a well-known fact that the tax collectors were corrupt. And even in the New Testament, and, and when religious leaders spoke about tax collectors, they would speak about tax collectors in the same breath as they would speak about sinners. Like a sinner and a tax collector would be sort of synonymous to one another. Like prostitute, sinner. Like tax collector, sinners. Same thing. And so it goes on. That's where Jesus found him. So in other words, Matthew didn't have a suit. Right? He didn't have the religious suit um, at all. goes on. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Verse 29. And Levi, or Matthew... Made, him, made Jesus a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors. So he called all the other sinners and tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them, with Jesus. And the Pharisees, do you know who the Pharisees are? They are the ones that wear the suits. They had the right dress code. They prayed in the right way. They were so committed to all the laws of Moses if anyone thought, like, who, who, who fits into this religion package? It was the Pharisees. They had the right suit. And goes on, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They're saying to Jesus, you said you're a man of God, but now you're spending time with the sinners and the tax collectors. The New Living Translation puts this last sentence like this. It says, why do you eat and drink with such scum, right? So Matthew was like scum, and Jesus was chilling with them. And so the tax collectors, they hated Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says, your suit doesn't impress God. It's not about the suit. Saying God's after something else. It's after your heart. Your suit is never going to be good enough. And Jesus claimed to speak to God without even wearing a suit. So the Pharisees hated him because they were so devoted to all of these laws and rules. And goes on, verse 31, Jesus speaks to them. He says, he answered them, 
Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call the righteous, or uh, not to come, uh, oh, sorry, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus, last week we spoke about this, that the church is actually a hospital full of sick people, right? All of us in need of the good doctor. It's not a place full of healthy people. No, no, no. Jesus says, I came for the sick. I didn't come for those who are healthy because they don't even know that they need me. I didn't come for those that are wearing the right suits. No, no, no. I came for those who can't even afford a suit. I came for those who are the misfits, the broken, and the sinners. That's why I came. Now, if you think about it, all religions are all about suiting up. See, the one thing that we, we sometimes misunderstand when it comes to Jesus, Jesus did not come to start a new religion. You see, we oftentimes think that there were many religions before Jesus and after Jesus, but Jesus' religion, that one is just better than the others. It's like the Springboks. Just, you know, they all play rugby, but it's just a better team than the other teams, right? And so we think that Jesus came to just improve religion a little bit, to make, to, to sort of just bring a better suit that we can follow that. No, Jesus actually came to end religion once for all. He says, this game is finished because he saw that no one will succeed at impressing God by the clothes that they wear, by the things that they put onto their lives. And he actually came to end religion. Think about all religion, the Jewish faith. They had to follow the Torah, the, the, the 10 commandments of Moses, the laws of Moses. And if you follow those things, then God will bless you. If you wear the right suit, then God will bless you and he will not curse you with the, the curses of the covenant. Think about the Islam faith. You've got the five pillars of Islam. If you do all of those things, you pray and you fast, you give to the poor, you pray five times a day, you do the pilgrimage to the Mecca, then when you have the right suit on, then maybe God will accept you into his kingdom. Think about any other religion that you might have been exposed to growing up. It's always something you need to do. Hinduism, Buddhism, it works on, on karma or the, the eightfold way to enlightenment. These things you need to do. A particular suit that you need to put on in order to reach a state of enlightenment or to reach goodness for yourself. Something you need to do in order to receive. And then Jesus came and he realized that there is no way that we will ever impress God with the clothes that we wear, with the things that we try. And because we were failing, God made a new plan. He started with a new humanity in the second Adam called Jesus. He's saying it's not about the suit. Jesus was the only one that could wear the right suit. And now we can be in Christ. And in that way, we can have access to our Father. Now, before I continue on that, let me just give this warning. Just because we are sitting in a Christian church does not mean that we are not sometimes busy with religion, right? Remember when I was growing up, I thought that if I read my Bible and if I pray often enough and if I go to church often enough, then God will be accepting of me. You know, then I'll be okay before God. And so Christianity was just another form of a suit, just like the Islam suit is just another color suit, but it's still a suit. Christianity can still be just another suit 
If you think it's about the clothes that you wear, it's going to impress God. You see, as soon as we start worrying so much about the clothes that people have to wear in church or the way that we do church, as soon as that becomes the focus and not the one that we're doing church for, we're in trouble. Then we're worrying about the clothes that we wear. We're worrying about the suit that people have to, have to put on. You see, so often we, we get saved by grace, but just give it like 12 months. I see it so often. We, we come into the church. I was also that guy at some point. Then, then we're saved by grace, but just like after 12 months, you start becoming puffed up because you feel like, no, I'm getting this right. And you start putting on a suit. And you start putting certain standards on other people that also want to come into the church. And you actually become the very person that kept you out of church all of those years because you are getting concerned about the suit that we have to put on. Let me give you an example, a very sad example. Many years ago, a well-known church in this country had a split because of the way they did worship. Now, worship is just another form of prayer, right? You just, you know, put some music next to, you know, your prayer. And it's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful way of expressing yourself. And so the one group of people felt that it is okay for us to sing the psalms that we have in the Bible, and we add music to it, and we sing lovely songs, and also hymns that were written after the Bible finished, right? We're, also, we're gonna sing psalms and hymns. That's gonna be amazing. And then there was a group of people saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You can only sing the psalms. You're not allowed to sing the hymns also because that was written a bit too late, only like three or 400 years ago. We can't sing those ones, only the psalms. You know what they were arguing about? They were arguing about the suit. Do you think God cares about whether we sing the psalms or the psalms and the hymns and whatever else song? What does God care about? Whether you're worshiping Him. Whether you're using, whether it's the psalm or this song or that song, are you using that song to worship Jesus? That's what it's about. He doesn't care about the suit that your song is in. I think that's a, a sad example, but let me just quickly tell you about a guy by the name David and why I really don't think that God is too concerned about the way that we sing songs or the way that we, we pray. He's more concerned about the heart with which we pray. I don't know if you know this about David, but there was a day where he got so excited about God, where he started taking off his clothes and he started dancing before God. You know that story? There was a day that God, uh, David was so excited about worshiping God, he literally took off his clothes and he was in his underpants. And he was dancing before God. He's saying, God, you're amazing. I don't know how David danced, probably as bad as I do. Maybe he had some rhythm. He's like break dancing before God in his underpants. And it was amazing for God. Can you imagine the priests and the religious leaders of that time when they saw the king becoming undignified, dancing? Can you imagine what they thought? They were probably, that wasn't normal, okay? The priest, we don't read of the priest. That's like, oh, that's just what you do. You take your clothes off and in your underpants, you do a bit of break dancing before God. No, that wasn't part of Moses' plan. No, no, no. Can you imagine how shocked they were? God looks at that. David, not even wearing, not even not only wearing a suit. He was literally not wearing clothes. But he saw the heart with which David was worshiping God. He said, God, I love you so I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going to move my body. I'm going to take my clothes off because I love you so much. 
That sounds a lot like the guy that sat down and said, Jesus, man, I love you so much. I wrote a rap song for you. It goes like this, Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Jesus is his name. I'm all about him. I love to bring him praise. And then he throws in a bit of John 14, verse 6. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? I wanted to continue, but I forgot the rest of the song. I'm sorry about that. Not as good as Brent. Do you think after, you know, the guy that wrote this by band, Planet Boom, I don't know who wrote the song the first time. Do you think after he wrote that, he's like, Jesus, it's like, Jesus, Jesus, going crazy before God, just being undignified before God. Do you think God sat in heaven and said, no, I see what you're trying to do there, but actually I don't listen to rap. You think God would have said, oh, I'm actually more like into soft alternative rock music, you know, like Hillsongs and Bethel, like Jesus culture, that kind of vibe. That's more like my genre, you know? Rap is not really my thing. No, friends. I think Kanye West would disagree with you because he's also rapping about Jesus these days. Say, no, friend. Jesus looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the suit. No. You know, he doesn't look at the way it sounds. You know, stop caring about other people and what they think and what, what the right form is of your prayer. We, if we, you know, sometimes we fixate so much on the formula and on the form of our prayer instead of just saying, God, man, I just want to worship you. I just want to be before you. Even in the songs that I don't like, how are you worshiping Jesus? Because it's about him. It's not about whether we like a song or not. I'm so encouraged by the seniors in our church. They... Um, We've got a bunch of people. They've been part of this church, I don't know, like for 40 years. So even 20 years before we started using drums in church, they were here. Let me just tell you this. I know some of them. They don't like, because some of them are like 70 years old or whatever, some of the seniors in our church, they don't even like the worship. Even in our morning service, where it's like, you know, the music's a little bit softer and, and whatnot as opposed to the evening, they don't always like that kind of worship. On a Wednesday, when they come together, they sing these old songs. But when they are here, they know that there are other people connecting to God. And also, it's not about them. I'm here to worship Jesus. That's what it's about. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the suit. Let's read what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 13. This is Jesus' teaching. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Let's say that together, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There are two, kinds of, there's two people that we love putting a suit on. The first one is for other people, and the second one is for God. You preach about that first one. Jesus is saying, don't pray to be seen by others. In Matthew 6, it actually starts off by Jesus saying, when you give to the poor, don't give in such a way so that you may be seen by others. Then he says, when you pray, don't pray in such a way so that you may be seen by others. Then he goes on to fasting. He says, when you fast, don't fast in such a way that you may be seen by others. What's Jesus saying? Stop trying to put a suit on your giving. Stop trying to put a suit to impress other people on your prayer. Stop trying to put a suit on your fasting so that you can impress other people. Some of the things we do in religion is sometimes just to please our family. 
We do certain rituals and practices and, and we do things in a certain way because that's how our people did it. That's how the people before me did it. That's how my parents did it. No, God is, God's not going to be pleased in that. No, no. He looks at your heart. You have to account for yourself and stand before God saying, God, I'm not here for other people. I want to worship you. That's what I want to do. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, we love putting on a suit for God when it comes to prayer. I don't know if you've ever stood next to someone that prays really nice. You feel like, oh man, that prayer is going to be heard by God. <laughs> My prayer sucks. And then... Like, because they're using, like, seven different names for God. It's like, Al-Jaira, Jehovah Jaira, you are my provider. And then, you know, they list all these different names for God. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't pray like that. Or sometimes you get the person that prays really soft. It, it sounds like they're hovering in the air. It's like, oh, Father, we feel you with us now. It's like a really soft prayer, and you feel like, oh man, that guy's got a direct line to God. God is not impressed by the softness of your prayer or by how many names of his that you remember. <laughs> no, he listens to you because we can't put a suit on our prayer. You know, sometimes we think that if we pray the right way, then God will hear us. We think that the success in prayer is an answered prayer. We think the success in prayer is an answered prayer. No, my friend. <laughs> The success of prayer is in a relationship with your Father. You get to spend time with Him. If prayers are answered, that's a bonus. But that's not the reason why we pray. It's not to get something. We've got a picture of God that He's like a genie in a bottle. How many of you have seen the movie Aladdin? I saw it the first time around, like not the remake that came out like recently. Aladdin, what happens? Aladdin found, finds this lamb. And he takes the lamp and then he rubs it in a certain way or something happens. And if you rub the lamp in the right way, well, that happened in the first movie. I don't know if it happened in the second movie. Then this ghost appears, this blue man. He is a genius. And then he says, your wish is my command. What do you want? You're, or you've got three wishes or whatever it is. We think that God is our genie in the bottle and prayer is our bottle. If I just rub God the right way, I also just add to that bit of going to church and, and doing this and that, you know, giving to the poor. And, and, and if I pray in a very nice way, then I rub God just in the right way. And then he's going to come and say, your wish is my command. Who's the God in that picture? Friends, no, that's not how we go to God. We don't try and rub God the right way. That's not the point of prayer, to get something from God. He's saying, don't be like those people who think that by their many words that God's going to be impressed and think like, oh man, I love your suit. I'm going I'm to answer your prayer. Not that guy because I don't like his clothes, but I'm going to answer your prayer. No, no, Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to move from religion to relationship. Take the suit off and just speak to your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus, you see, well, just maybe this quick point. We sometimes take the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we say that prayer religiously, and we think it's a magic prayer. 
Sometimes it's like, you know, if we say that prayer every day, or we say the prayer as if there's extra power in the prayer. That's not what Jesus was trying to do. He wasn't trying to give us a formula for prayer. He was trying to make a bigger point, say, don't pray like this, because the religious people of the time prayed in a different way. And so he was actually doing the opposite. He was shocking them by saying, pray like this. Let me tell you what he said. It says, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father, our Father. Now, I can preach on the whole prayer. It'll, we can do a whole series on that, but I'm going to preach only on those first two words, our Father. Martin Luther said, if we understand the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, it'll change your life. It'll change your life if you just understand the first two words of this prayer, our Father. In this time, people didn't refer to God as Father. He didn't speak to God in an intimate way. There were different ways of addressing God. In fact, God's name was not to be uttered. God's name was too holy, so you don't say his name, let alone call him your father. That's a bit arrogant. That was blasphemous. Can you imagine the first time Jesus told him, so they've heard him speak about to his father, and they thought like, yeah, but that's Jesus. Like, man, look at his suit. Like, yo, you can do that. But then he says, no, 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 disciples, you need to say, this is actually not the Lord's prayer, it's actually the disciples' prayer, because he says, this is how you should pray, our father. And like, yo, lightning's going to come, like they just want to get away from Jesus because they think that God is going to zap him because he's blaspheming, you know? They're like, no, I can't, I can't call God. I mean, I'm not even allowed to say his name. And now, Jesus, you're telling me I should call him father. You see, Jesus was speaking Aramaic here, and the, a better translation would actually be, he was, say, he was saying Abba. A better translation would actually be to say Dad. Or Papa, Dad, Papa. Now, fa father is actually a little, a little bit of a, a formal way to say Dad or Papa. Can you imagine the shock for the disciples saying, Jesus, no. I mean, teach us something else. Teach us rather the water trick or the you know, water into wine thing. This prayer thing is a bit difficult. You want me to call God Father, Dad? You see, let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus go for the word Father? Why Father, not something else? Let me ask you another question real quick, and this is sort of the last big idea that I want to preach to us, and this is very important. I want to say this, that if you get this, it might change the way that you pray forever. It might, it's got the potential to, to change your life, if you understand this. Let me ask this question first. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why did Jesus' mother Mary have to be a virgin? Have you ever thought about that? The answer that I was taught when I was young was it was because of purity, because he needed to be born um, in a pure way. So the, in other words, what they were referring to is that there, there shouldn't have been sex involved in conceiving Jesus because otherwise he wouldn't have been pure, and it's for purity. But you know what the problem is with that argument? Maybe there is some truth in that, but you know the problem that I find in that argument? That says that sex is sin, right? That says that sex is sin. But God made sex, so is God a sinner? You know, God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What did he tell them? He says, be fruitful and multiply. 
what does it mean, be fruitful and multiply? So, okay, go and multiply. Did you think when Adam and Eve started, you know, to be fruitful and multiply, do you think God was like, what, what are you doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, how did you come to that? No, no, no. God made Adam and Eve. He designed them, right? Maybe just a side note before I keep on preaching about that. If you want to hear more about God's design when it comes to romance and, and love and, and dating and marriage and sex, then you need to be here next week because next week we are celebrating Valentine's Sunday. This coming Friday, if you've got a girlfriend or boyfriend, just a heads up, it's Valentine's Day. You need to make a plan. But on Sunday, we're going to have Valentine's Sunday together. There's going to be donuts again, yay. And we're going to be preaching on that. What is God's take on love and romance and all of those things? So make sure that you come and you invite your friends that are curious about, is sex a sin according to the Bible? And we're going to have a great time together for next week's Sunday. After that, we keep on with our series called Discipleship. Back to the sermon. Everyone's excited about next week. Okay, focus, focus. Prayer. I actually can't remember where I was, but. God made sex in the first place. So it can't be because of purity. You know why Jesus' mother had to be a virgin? You see, let me just say this. Every single human being that has ever been born has been born of a man. We have been conceived by a man in some way or form. Like we have been conceived by a man and we are all descendants of Adam. And what happened? Adam fell because of sin. Uh, Adam fell and sin entered the world and we are all stuck in the same line of Adam. We are all stuck in sin. John, no, sorry, not John, Matthew 1 verse 18 says the following. This is the reason why this is such an important thing that Jesus was born of a virgin. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Another translation says she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1 verse 20, it goes on, the angel that appears to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God himself, meaning that God himself is not figuratively, but literally the father of Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. God is the father of Jesus, not figuratively, but literally. God's plan of salvation for us was a new humanity, a second Adam to be brought so that when we are, what do we say as Christians? We are born again, born again, born of the Spirit. That's the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. John chapter three says, unless you are born of the Spirit, unless you are born again and born of the Spirit, you won't enter the, the kingdom of God. And so that's what it means to be born again is that we are also placed in this new humanity in Jesus. What does that mean? When you are born of the Spirit, this is the same Spirit that conceived Jesus, when, when, when Mary, when Jesus was born. The same Spirit that made God the Father of Jesus, although we are not the firstborn Jesus. We are not Jesus ourselves. We come after him and because of him and in him, we have got a new relationship to God in heaven. John 1 verse 12 says the following. Two more scriptures and then we're gonna end. Maybe the worship team, they can join me in the front so long. This is important scriptures. John 1 
Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you believe in Jesus, you have been born again by that very same spirit, and you have received the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are born of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are born of God. What does that entitle you to say? It entitles you to look up to heaven and say, say my Father in heaven, my Father. We get to say, not only Jesus, but we. That is the, the privilege, that is the inheritance that Jesus has given us. Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. This is so beautiful. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. Let me ask you this. How do you pray? When you pray, do you go to God as a slave? It's like, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just tell me what to do. Or do you go to God as a child? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Prayer should not be something of fear. You shouldn't be afraid in the presence of God. That's why Jesus died. That's why he rose from the dead, so that you don't have to fall back to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry what? You see, Paul understood what Jesus taught. But at this moment, Paul understood this, and John understood this. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now listen to this. If God is actually your Father, and not a far-off, distant God that is sort of like a being, if God is not this force, but He's actually a personal God and He is your Father, what does that mean for your prayer life? How does that change your devotion to prayer? Then prayer is no longer a religious act to get something from this force, or from this God that's distant. No, no, prayer becomes time with your dad. It becomes time with your father in heaven. Prayer is not a religious rhyme that we say. It is an expression of relationship with our father. You see, here's the thing my earthly dad and the same goes for my heavenly father I don't wear a suit when I speak to my dad I don't know about you but I don't wear a suit when I speak to my dad you stand with me because I want us to respond see I think for some of us it is really time to take the suit off say God I've got nothing to bring I can't impress you and I know tonight that you don't look at the suit. You're interested in me. You're interested in the heart. Saying, God, here I am. Just as I am. I think there's two ways for us to respond. We're going to pray now. We're going to sing a song. And you can use the words of this song to speak to your father. To worship God in a new way. To realize that you are a child of God. You have received the right of being a child of God. That's what John 1, verse 12 and Romans 8, verse 15 and 16 tells us, it is your right because it's given to you by Jesus. It's faith in Him that 
gives you that freedom. Maybe tonight as we sing that song, maybe you should use your own words. Instead of just using the words on the screen just where you are, just pray, do something different. Maybe you need to kneel. Maybe you need to lie down on the floor just as a way of saying, God, man, I want to worship you. And I know that you don't care about my suit. I'm here to worship you. Maybe you need to repent of self-righteousness. Maybe you've been saved for a while, but you've been putting standards on other people. You've been saying to other people, you need to wear a particular suit. Maybe that's the thing you need to just tell God, hey God, I'm sorry about that. I remember now that you don't care about those things. Thank you that you love me. Maybe that's you. And then lastly, if that's you in this song, we're going to sing like that. But then lastly, I want to make this invitation. There might be some of you that need to be born again tonight. That you know that you've tried all the different suits and ties that there is out there. You've tried, even if it's other religions, maybe you've tried Christianity as a religion. You realized it doesn't work. You're saying, God, I'm done with that. I know that you're not looking at these things. Just come as I am. God, I want to give over to you. I put my faith in Jesus. And with that, you will be born again. You become a child of God. And you can start living a new life. Not a life filled with do's and don'ts. Not a life filled with rules and regulations. A life where where you've got no more guilt. Can you just imagine for a moment, if that's you, you know the feeling of guilt that you walk around with? Whenever you think about God or church, you feel a bit guilty. How great it is not to have that feeling anymore. Because I know that that I'm in Christ. And there is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know how great it is to walk around with this kind of freedom? So I don't need to impress anyone. I don't even need to impress God because I'm already His child. You know how great that is. If you want that, I want you to raise your hand. Because we want to pray for you. We want to start walking the road with you. There's a lady that raised her hand at the back. Praise God. Keep it up. There's a guy here. I think there are a bit more people. Come on. Just keep your hand up. This is a big moment, so I don't want to, to, for it to pass quickly. This is a moment that can change your life. So keep your hand up nice and high. This is big. Is there anyone else? There's a guy in the front here. There's a lady there at the back. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. There's another gentleman there at the back. There's a gentleman right here in the front. There's a lady over there. Thank you, God. There's a gentleman here in the front. Let's give it some more time. Anyone else, put those hands up nice and high. Someone from our ministry team, they're going to come to you. I'm going to say to you exactly what's going to happen next. But this is a big moment, so I want you to keep those hands high. Is there anyone else? There's a hand there. There's a lady there. Well done, lady. Someone's coming to you now. And I'm going to explain to you what is going to happen. And so we're sending, this is great. We want to celebrate in a moment. But before we do this, this is huge for you. I remember that day when I put up my hand in church. Many of the people standing around me, they remember the day when they say, God, I'm done with the suits. I want to just come to you, Jesus. You are enough. You are the only suit that I want to put on. I remember the day when that happened to me, and I promise you it's going to change your life. So we've sent someone to you. The reason is because if this is going to be the start of the, uh, of, of the rest of your life, we want someone to come alongside you and walk that road with you. As a church, we believe in family. We believe in discipleship. 
And so we're going to ask those people from our ministry team, they're going to go to the back at our New Life Lounge with you. We want to hear your story. And then that person is going to minister to you. And they're going to pray with you. And we're going to invite you back next week to church because we have got a road that we want to walk with you. Because this might be the change that you were dreaming for for so long. Let's maybe pray together. And then after that, I want us to celebrate like we've never celebrated before. Jesus, we thank you for salvation, God. We thank you for people that are born again into a new humanity, God, into a new freedom, God, where we can just come and be ourselves before you, God. I pray for each guy and each girl, God, that they would from the start throw away their suits and just walk in freedom and liberty in a relationship with their Father. We pray that in your name, amen. Let's give them a hand. Well done. Well done for the courage to stand up. I want to encourage you, even those at the back, I want to encourage you for making a brave decision. It takes a lot of courage, but you will not regret it. I promise you, I bet my life on it, you will not regret it. We thank you, Jesus. And as we go and worship now, God, for the rest of us, for all of us, God, we want to worship you with more freedom. We want to become undignified before you, God, because we love you so much, God. We want to stop focusing on the form of our prayer. We want to stop focusing on the formulas that we have for religion, God. We want to take off the suit, God, and just come to you in love and adoration. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.